This is The Guardian. Today, how the Commons vote for a ceasefire turned into a political pantomime. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The substance of the debate couldn't have been more serious or pressing. Should the British government call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. We now come, we now come to the SNP motion on Gaza. This is a highly sensitive subject on which feelings are running high in the House, in the nation and throughout the world. I think it's important... The Scottish National Party said emphatically, yes. The Labour Party, yes, but... And the Conservatives... They were instead calling for an immediate humanitarian pause. Whatever the wording, and the language does matter, all sides say they want to stop the killing in this conflict that's already taken over 29,000 people's lives. But in Parliament on Wednesday night, that substance got lost in petty political rivalry. The question is that the House do sit in private. As many as of that opinion say aye. We knew that there was going to be a debate brought by the Scottish National Party on a ceasefire in Gaza. So they crafted this motion, including reference to collective punishment of people in Gaza. Labour didn't want to support the SNP's motion, so they put forward an amendment to it. But then the Conservatives put in their own amendment, and as the ruling party, they have priority. Labour's wouldn't be heard. As many as 100 Labour MPs were so incensed by the idea of not being able to vote for an immediate ceasefire that they said, well, we're just going to vote for the SNP motion anyway, no matter, Keir Starmer, what you tell us to do. This would have been the biggest rebellion of Keir Starmer's leadership. And the only way really he could get around that problem was to make sure his own amendment got chosen so that he could have a vote that enabled Labour members to say that they had voted for an immediate ceasefire. The Speaker of the House, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, decided to do things differently and he allowed Labour's amendment to be heard. Lindsay Hoyle says that he took the decision because he was really worried about MP safety. Now, there was a big protest here on Wednesday, a big pro-Palestinian protest, lots of people coming even onto the parliamentary estate. MPs have said they feel very under threat generally on this issue. And what many Labour MPs told Hoyle was, look, 
If you don't allow us to have a vote on our version of immediate ceasefire, you are forcing us to choose between party loyalty and coming under threat from very vociferous activists who don't like the fact that we're not voting for a ceasefire. So on that basis, Hoyle says, he made the decision. Labour's amendment passed, but Hoyle could pay for his decision with his job. Tens of MPs are calling for him to resign. For others, like the Labour MP Jess Phillips, who've been supporting a ceasefire for months, the political spectacle of all of this is frustrating. I was actually working on the issues in the region when I was pulled away to watch a pantomime. I felt embarrassed and ashamed of an institution I truly believe in to be a place where most of the time, most of the people, regardless of whether you like them or not, are there to try and make things better. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, how is Parliament rising to the challenge of the conflict in Gaza? Jess Phillips, you're the MP for Birmingham Yardley, and you were there in the Commons on Wednesday evening when Labour's amendment on the ceasefire went through, only because Conservative and SNP politicians left the room. A vote over an incredibly distressing, appalling war basically got bogged down in parliamentary procedure. What do you think your constituents? thought watching that? Quite a few of them have been in touch with me. What none of them seem to have appreciated in the chaos is that Parliament actually passed a motion last night that calls for an immediate ceasefire, that is against the incursion into Rafah by the Israeli Defence Force recognises Palestine as a state, calls for the uh, immediate release of the hostages. It doesn't seem to have reached them in that chaos that that has actually happened. You know, by and large, they didn't understand what was going on. And I have to say, I struggled to explain it to them. In November, you resigned from your position on the Shadow Cabinet. You were Domestic Abuse and Safeguarding Minister, which for anybody who's followed your campaigning over the years will know that those are issues that are incredibly important to you. Yeah. But you you resigned because the Labour leadership wasn't allowing you to vote for a ceasefire. How did it feel to have to step down? Oh, it was horrible. And actually yesterday, one of the things that was awful for me was that sort of a reminder of the, the emotional turmoil that I went through. It was really, really hard, really hard. And I didn't make the decision lightly at all. And... You know, I wish things that had been different. But, you know, I I also didn't make it with vitriol, with aggression, with game playing. And that is what I saw going on yesterday. (laughs) So it was different. It was different. There was points of principle and good faith, actually, from the leadership of the Labour Party towards me and me towards the leadership of the Labour Party when I took my decision. But the scenes in Parliament yesterday just seemed like dreadfully bad faith. Since you resigned, the public support for a ceasefire has increased. Why has it taken Keir Starmer 
so long to come to this position that you were at months ago and actually support a ceasefire? I, I believe that Keir Starmer wants the fighting to stop. And the reason that I think he is cautious about it and cautious about the language that gets used in amendments and things is because he has a different exam question to the one that I have. I'm never ever going to be part of the negotiations really. Even if, you know, I was given my job back on the front bench, it's not in foreign affairs that people are going to be looking to me for guidance. He has to try and make it so that all actors in this field of war that he can negotiate with them in the future and mm. that like that I get that is a different exam question to the one that I have to answer however the fundamental is is that the, the Labour Party yesterday called for and won with the will of Parliament an immediate ceasefire and Lindsay Hoyle the Speaker of the House has raised concerns about how the very febrile nature of this conflict and how the public feels about it and how MPs feel about it is raising concerns about their safety. He said he doesn't want to be in the situation again where an MP is murdered. And he was making reference there, of course, to Joe Cox, your former colleague, and to David Amos, a Conservative MP, who were both killed doing their jobs. How does it feel to be an MP at the moment? The absolute honest answer from my perspective is absolutely no different. But then you speaking to somebody who has had uh, the highest security threats for the last nearly decade that I've been elected to Parliament. So defending the rights of women is usually the reason that I have faced um, the most uh, aggression and threat. Yeah. So I can only speak on behalf of what my colleagues are telling me, that there is definitely a sense that they feel un under threat more so than they have before. You know, that, that seems to be the common view. It, it isn't a view I share personally, um, because that I have had no more threat than I ever had. What types of threats are people talking to you about? It is about, you know, how the, the UK is handling this particular issue, whether that's the UK Labour Party, whether that's the government, whether they feel that their individual is doing enough. But most of that, can I just say 99% of it is completely legitimate. I'm not saying that I agree with 99% of it. I'm saying that it's expressed will of people in our constituencies, which is a completely legitimate practice and something that should be encouraged, not stopped. It's when it breaches into threat and uh, intimidation uh, and, and and harassment to the point that it stops you being able to do your job properly or live your life properly. We are people. We should have, to be, you know, living our life is just as important. Yeah, because you've had situations like Tobias Elwood, a conservative politician, you know, who had a crowd around his house waving banners and chanting. That That is a line for me. I don't think that it should... Um, I'm very comfortable with protest outside Parliament because, you know, I, I've done it myself. As long as it is peaceful, legal, within the bounds of the law and all, all of that said. And actually, I'm, again, as long as it is peaceful and within the bounds of the law, I'm OK with it outside my office and I've had it variously on various different issues. N never about this, I have to say, but I've had, you know, sort of green issues being protested outside my office. I usually just invite people in for a cup of tea, especially if they are peaceful, peaceful protesting. But that outside people's homes, outside my home, that's 
like my family are conscripts to this. My my husband thinks people who join political parties are, are frankly mad. Like you know, he's not he doesn't have a political life. Uh, my children don't have a political life. My neighbours don't deserve this either. It's a job, and then you've got a life. Those two things uh, are different. But so, just to get back to what's happened this week, Lindsay Hoyle has apologised for the scenes in the Commons on Wednesday, but the SNP is saying that's not enough. Should he resign, do you think? Nope, I don't think he should resign. The absolute truth of what happened in all that chaos is that Lindsay Hoyle genuinely made the decision on the basis of our security, a fear over our security. Now, we can have an argument about whether that's the right way to do it or whatever, and I'm, I'm here all day for whether I think that's good or bad. However, as somebody who has for the last nine years been under the kind of threat level that uh, we are talking about. The difference in the way that it is managed both by Parliament and the police from the first ever complaint I made nine years ago until the complaint I made yesterday is unrecognisable. The difference I know exactly where to go. I know exactly who to speak to. That arrest was made immediately. I'm getting feedback. I have, uh, you know, security around me. And almost every single bit of that, I have to say, has been down to the efforts of Lindsay Hoyle over his tenure as both the deputy uh, speaker and also as the speaker. I never thought that I'm going to be here being Lindsay Hall's greatest defender. He's got a cracking accent. But, you know, it's not like I'm some sort of great ally of Lindsay or anything like that. However, one thing I will say for him is he's obsessed with MPs security. Like he will collar me in the corridor and be like, Jess, you're on my list because you haven't done your security review. Like genuinely, he's bloody obsessed with it. Do you think it's justifiable then, the way that he handled things? The way that the decision was made is justifiable enough, but I believe him when he said that's the reason that he made it. I absolutely believe him. Um, and whether I think it was the right decision or not, is that is academic. I just trust that he did it with good intentions, genuinely, because I have for years watched him drop try and drive through and, and it's not perfect don't get me wrong but this idea that nothing's got better and mps are at work is just absolutely that is not somebody who had tried to make a police complaint nine years ago and was making one today that is absolutely not true you talked about how your constituents are just you know basically confused watching this chaos in the commons and it is difficult from the outside to kind of judge what difference a vote over a ceasefire makes in this situation. What power do our parliamentarians actually have? Right, we don't have any power over either Hamas or Benjamin Netanyahu. We don't have any power over him. And I think that we shouldn't pretend, the, you know, we don't have any power over the decisions they're going to make. We cannot stop bombs from falling. And that should be made clear to people in the most certain terms. The power that we have is one of diplomatic we are a global power we are part of all those you know when you see every all those world leaders standing up at whichever summit it is we are 
you know, we are one of those key actors. Arguably, the the only real player in the influencing uh, in this space is Qatar and America. Mm. Like that, that's the reality. However, we can also act to influence Qatar and America. However, we live in a parliamentary democracy and Parliament has a role to express its view and its will about how we want things to be done. And Rishi Sunak is only the Prime Minister by the will of the people. But it is important that Parliament expresses its view so that the government should take a lead from the people that it represents and act in the diplomatic efforts the the pushing, the pulling, the convincing with the voice and the words set down by Parliament. And currently, those words say that we want an immediate ceasefire and a release of the hostages. And we want the Rafa incursion not to go ahead and for them to lay down their arms in that regard and for the recognition of the state of Palestine. That is what Parliament has willed. And so now... I don't really care about all this nonsense about the speaker and parliamentary procedure. Uh, it bores me on the best of days. Absolutely <laughs> infuriating on the worst of days. The idea that Parliament has passed that and that is about the situation. Now, what does that mean that Parliament has passed that is what I am interested in. What does that look like? What does that mean for our government and how are we going to hold them to account for the will of Parliament? That is uh, the end goal for me. It isn't because I think if I make a a principled stand and look really heroic, that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to go, oh, that Jess Phillips cares. Better stop the war. Is calling for a ceasefire enough? I mean, not to me, it's not. I think that, uh, funnily enough, last time when I resigned and I was like beatified by some people because uh, I'd resigned on a point of principle and where people were saying thank you to me, I said, make your expectations considerably better. You're thanking me as if what I just did was anything more than it took. It took one minute. It took one minute of my time to walk through that lobby. That's absolutely nothing. So, you know, uh, it's like you, you should be demanding considerably more of me. We have to start thinking not about what happened yesterday, but what's going to happen tomorrow and what is our approach going to be and what are those options? But yet, look, what are these things? Rather than just focusing... At the moment, though, people just want the killing to stop. on You know, across the board, and they want the hostages released. Coming up... Can Lindsay Hoyle survive this chaos? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? 
Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Let's not make a show in front of your wife and kids. What happens when the witness who places you at the scene of a crime isn't human? Because you are under arrest for your warrant, for your outstanding Listen to Black Box, a new podcast series from The Guardian. Seven stories about AI and us. Coming soon. Kieran Stacey, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian. What happened as the dust started to settle yesterday? Wednesday night, I was here in the Commons till quite late. It was all anybody wanted to talk about. I was out uh, on the terrace with MPs from various different parties who were all just trying to digest what on earth had just happened. By yesterday morning, attention really had turned to the role that the Speaker had played here. Now, Lindsay Hoyle is a former Labour MP. When he became Speaker, he kind of gave up that um, partisanship. He was supposed to be neutral. But the feeling among Tory and SNP MPs is that he did his old party a favour here. And if we're to take it even further, many believe that Keir Starmer really twisted his arm in making him take the decision he did. Yesterday, was kind of in Westminster was engulfed by this ongoing row. The SNP leader, Stephen Flynn, stood up in the chamber, looked Lindsay Hoyle directly in the eyes and said, we don't have confidence in you anymore. Basically, stand aside. It was, it was quite a dramatic moment. That, quite frankly, is not acceptable. And as I have expressed to you privately prior to proceedings here today, we do, there, we do not, on these benches, therefore believe that you can continue in your role as Speaker. We do not have confidence in your ability. Lindsay Hoyle then, for the second time in in about 12 hours, stood up and gave his own very emotional statement. And I've got to say, I regret how it's ended up. It was not my intention. I wanted the all I want it all to ensure they could express their views and all sides of the House could vote. You know, the numbers continue to roll in on this particular parliamentary motion, which one Conservative MP has put down, calling for a vote of no confidence in Lindsay Hoyle. And it really feels at the moment that we're on a bit of a knife edge about whether he will remain in post or not. Do we know what Starmer actually said to Hoyle? I mean, did he go in there and say, I'm worried that 
if this amendment isn't allowed, MPs' safety will be increasingly under threat. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Yes, there were some rumours here over the last couple of days that he had explicitly told Hoyle that he would lose Labour Party backing as Speaker come the next Parliament if he didn't accede to this request. I'm told by multiple sources that's not true. And in fact, I'm inclined to believe them because it wouldn't be Starmer's style to issue threats. I do think that Starmer said, focused on the issue of threats to MPs safety. Now, obviously, that's still quite a, you know, an emotive thing to say. And that puts a lot of pressure on the speaker if you're making that kind of case where you're saying, look, if you don't make this decision, you're putting us under security threat. It must have been a very difficult meeting, I think, especially for Lindsay Hoyle. The SNP is now calling for Hoyle to resign because they're saying basically he's broken parliamentary procedure. How likely do you think it is that he might resign? It's really difficult to tell at the moment. I think on the plus side for Lindsay Hoyle, I was in the chamber yesterday watching as uh, Penny Mordaunt, the Conservative leader of the House of Commons, pretty much gave him her backing. She said he's a decent man and she tried to turn all the attention on to Keir Starmer's role in this whole thing. That suggests that the government is inclined to support him and with government support, he should be fine. However, at exactly the same time that I was watching Penny Mordaunt say that, my colleague Rowena Mason was at a briefing with Number 10 where they repeatedly refused to give Hoyle their backing. So I think the government is trying to hedge its bets a little bit at the moment and just see which way the wind blows. If so many MPs start calling for him to resign, then maybe they'll think, well, we also have to get on board with this. But at the moment, they kind of have the speaker where they want him. And then Hoyle's justification, you know, after he apologised, saying that he was concerned about MPs' safety. And of course, in recent years, there have been two MPs who've been killed in the line of doing their job. He's concerned about how febrile the conversation is nationally about this conflict. How does it seem to you for MPs at the moment? Are there increased worries about MPs' safety? Absolutely, 100%. Yes. I hear some pretty terrifying stories almost on a daily basis from MPs who are worried about their security. Some have almost permanent police details. Many of them have panic alarms. I know one MP who's had death threats. It, it is febrile, especially on this issue. And I think MPs are not just whinging here. They genuinely feel like their security is under threat. Now, there is an argument to say, look, if MPs' security is genuinely under threat, the worst thing you can do is to capitulate to essentially extremists who are putting them under threat. What happened in Parliament last night was concerning because the usual ways in which Parliament works were changed. Now, my understanding is that the Speaker has apologised for what happened and is reflecting on that. But I think the important point here is that we should never let extremists intimidate us into changing the way in which Parliament works. Parliament is an important place for us to have these debates. Um, so there are many Conservative MPs who say, look, we, we agree with Lindsay Hoyle that this is a serious issue and that MPs are feeling particularly at risk at the moment. But the last thing we should be doing is changing the rules of the House of Commons in order to placate you know, the more extreme fringes of our society. If anything, we should be doubling down and insisting on, you know, the rule of law and due process and all the things that British parliamentary democracy is supposed to be about. What Lindsay Hoyle would say is 
This is a relatively minor rule. And actually, if you look at the written down rules of the House of Commons, there was nothing that stopped him acting as he did last night. It was much more following precedent that was the issue here. We've been speaking to Jess Phillips and, you know, she obviously resigned on a point of principle about whether she could vote on a ceasefire. It's so important in this conflict, you know, where more than 29,000 people have died already. But the headlines that have come out of this vote have all been about the pettiness and the shouting in Westminster. Have MPs lost sight of what this was about? I think on Wednesday night, MPs absolutely lost sight of what this was about. You know, it was like watching headless chickens. They completely disappeared into their own vortex. And meanwhile, outside, there were hundreds of protesters, pro-Palestinian protesters, who kind of were much more engaged on what was actually happening on the ground, whether you agreed with them or not. So it was a very strange sight. It was a very strange atmosphere here in Westminster. I think by yesterday, there was a bit of a recalibration. I think MPs had started to realise how they looked. And I think there was a sense that they needed to somehow undo some of that damage. And one of the things that Lindsay Hoyle said on Thursday was that he was willing to allow another emergency debate on exactly this issue so that the SNP motion finally might get voted on. Maybe that's the way to get out of this situation, to actually have a debate that's slightly more substantive than the one we saw this week. Who comes out of this well? Which of the party leaders have played this whole debacle well? Well, to a certain extent, Keir Starmer has played it well in that he has managed to avoid what would have been the biggest rebellion of his leadership. So I think that Labour officials were pretty pleased with their day's work by Wednesday evening, even if perhaps with a tinge of embarrassment. Stephen Flynn, who is the SNP's leader in Westminster, was full of righteous indignation and, you know, had a point, but was was taking his point quite far. And I think in some of his personal attacks on Lindsay Hoyle has lost some support across the chamber. The Conservatives tried to make this all about Labour and how they had essentially hobbled the Speaker. But at the same time, the reason we didn't have any proper votes on Wednesday night was because the Conservatives decided simply to leave the chamber and not participate in them. So honestly, in the House of Commons, not many people came out of this with their reputations enhanced. How do you think all this comes across to the public? I think that people will look at Wednesday's debate and first of all, they'll be confused. I mean, we are talking about obscure processes in the House of Commons. There was a point, by the way, on Wednesday evening where I looked up at my TV screen, which was showing a live feed of what was happening in in the chamber of the House of Commons. And it said MPs are currently voting on whether to sit in private. And I genuinely had no idea what that sentence meant. And I literally had no idea what this procedure was or why anybody was trying to undertake it. So it was utterly baffling, even for those of us inside the building on Wednesday. And I think by the time that Thursday morning came around... There does seem to be a real sense of anger about, you know, MPs arguing about this kind of thing while a war was going on in which, as you say, 29,000 people have died. What do you think it says about Parliament that MPs couldn't debate something that's so serious without descending into this silly political point scoring? I think the Parliament sometimes really does rise to the occasion. You see that... um, for example, on on major moments of national mourning, for example. Parliament deals very well with those. In fact, a lot, I would say, of really serious substantive debate happens in the Commons. A lot of it just doesn't get picked up on because it can be quite obscure areas. 
I think that really it also shows the flaws of parties using parliamentary time to score cheap points. And Lindsay Hoyle talked about changing the processes for opposition day debates so that this doesn't continue to happen, so that we're not constantly getting motions that aren't really designed to do anything apart from give you a message to put on a leaflet, which is not really representing what your opponent's position is. I think that MPs realise that their reputations have have come out of this quite badly damaged. And there does seem to be a recognition in the Commons that they need to make up for that in some way, whether that's with another debate on Gaza or just simply dealing with opposition day debates in different ways in the future. Kieran, thank you very much. Thanks, Anna. That's it for today. I'm Hannah Moore, and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff, Courtney Youssef and Natalie Katena. The sound designer was Solomon King, and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. I hope you have a lovely weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.